I want to open my message this morning with a story. Uh, a little over nine years ago, uh, on the, I think it was the 12th of September, uh, 2012, my family and I went down to East London to the Olympic Stadium uh, to go and watch Paralympic athletics for the day. Uh, and, and that was courtesy of some tickets from my brother-in-law, free tickets. So we went down on the train, uh, we went to Stratford, and um, walked up from Stratford Station to the Olympic Stadium, and it's a very impressive uh, building to look at. And then we climbed all the stairs, lots and lots of different stairs, to get to the point where we were going to enter into the stadium. And uh, as I kind of stepped onto this little section of the stairway, which kind of went out into the, into the, you know, all of the stadium, my breath was taken away because there were just so many people there. It was quite spectacular, and I kind of went <gasps> in my spirit. I was just like, goodness me, look at all these people. And then I turned around to go back up to my seat, kind of because our seat was kind of up here, and I turned, and then I saw this other sea of faces behind me because it went right up to the ceiling, and I was like, <gasps> again, it was really, really impressive. We watched loads and loads of athletics that day. The atmosphere was fantastic, but far and away, the event that captured my heart and imagination was the 1500 meters for uh, Paralymp Paralympic athletes who have a problem with, or a disability with one of their limbs or their upper torso. The way they do the Paralympics is they, they settle people into categories so that the, the competition is broadly similar. Uh, and the T46 category is for people with, with that kind of difficulty. Um, and so what I want you to imagine is this race, this 1500 meters race is about to start and all the athletes are in a similar category. And there's a gent there from a tiny African nation called Djibouti. And uh, Djibouti, is about the, it's got about the population of Birmingham in it. It's about a million people. And it's, so it's a tiny, tiny nation. And uh, this gent is called Omar Hassan Hussein. And he's the first person from Djibouti to compete as a Paralympian ever. First person. And in 2012, he was the only person uh, in the Paralympics uh, that year from his nation. So he's the sole competitor. And he arrives in London, and he gets ready for his race, and he suffers a very unfortunate setback on the morning of his race. He ends up with a twisted foot. And I don't know how he did that, but he kind of pulled a, a ligament, something uh, wasn't quite right, and he just wasn't in a good space <coughs> Excuse me, to run this race. So he's there at the beginning of the race, the gun goes off, and straight away, he steps across to one side, and he decides, no, I'm going to do this race, but I'm going to keep out of the way of all the other competitors. And he just goes it two lanes across, and they're running kind of anti-clockwise around this oval track, and he just decides right from the beginning, I'm going to go across in this lane here, and I'm going to run my race, and I'm going to run round. And uh, the race unfolds, uh, and I don't know how many laps they go around the 1,500-meter uh, thing, but it's, it's, it's a significant number. And the, the rest of the athletes uh, get round in a decent time, and they get their applause, and uh, it's all good. Omar Hassan Hussein still has two laps left to go and about six minutes of his race. And what happens is, uh, I've noticed this with British people particularly, maybe other nations do this as well, and if you do, that's brilliant. But British people have a heart for the underdog in sporting competitions. We really do. We want the, the underdog to do well. And, and what happened was that as Omar Hassan Hussein was trotting round, sections of the stadium started to stand up and cheer him on on his last but one lap. And that was moving, and, and, and you know, the atmosphere started to build, and it was really electric. And I kind of felt sorry for some of the other field events, because they, nobody was interested in them. They just wanted to see this guy get around. And as he came into the last lap, 
I kid you not, every single one of 80,000 people stood up to their feet to applaud his effort. It was one of the most moving things I've ever seen. My heart was in my mouth. And what happened that day was there was a person who suffered a setback, not just the setback of having the amputation above his arm that put him in the T46 category in the first place, it was the setback of having flown from his native country to London to represent his country, the only person to represent his country as a Paralympian, and then struggle with that setback on the day, and then saying to himself, no, I am doing this race. I am doing this race on my terms, and I don't care if I come last in front of 80,000 people. I, I have to say, I just admire that so, so much. It moved me. I was struggling to hold back tears. And I think every single person in that stadium that, that day, they knew without words exactly what was going on for him, and they all stood up and applauded it. It was a wonderful moment I am going to take with me to the grave. He gave me something that day from his humility. He gave me something from his humility and his willingness to be last. I mean, seriously, I ask you, who here would be willing to run and definitely come last in front of 80,000 people. It's unthinkable. He did it, and it was an amazing thing. And I wanted to share that story with you because something about that story speaks to our third beatitude that we're speaking about today. We're in the middle of a series called Beatitudes, Attitudes, and we're looking at eight statements that Jesus makes at the, big, at the beginning of the most important sermon of all time the Sermon on the Mount. And you can read that sermon in Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And of course, when you start a sermon of that importance, there's a lot of focus on those first few verses and how it started, and Jesus starts them incredibly well. And we have these eight statements which all start with, blessed are. And back on the 5th of September, we looked at, blessed are the poor in spirit didn't we? That was our opening one. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, and then we went to, uh, last week, uh, Sunday the, uh, the, the, the 12th, I think it was, we looked at blessed are those who mourn. And actually we found that poor in spirit meant not having, uh, or having an awareness that there's a big lack in your spirituality. And then kind of maybe a bit counterintuitively, we discovered that those who mourn, it's to do with, it's not to do with losing people. Jesus is teaching from something in Isaiah 61, which is about being aware of our own sinfulness and being sad about that and being cut up about that and mourning that. <coughs> so I'm going to just read from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 3. Uh, and we're going to just read those Beatitudes again. And you can follow this along on your YouVersion app. Um, for those of you online, uh, just underneath the description of uh, our YouTube video and our Facebook video, you can see a link to the YouVersion app. And we've set up what's called an event. And in there, it's got all the notes for today's message. And you can add your own notes as we go along. So please just jump onto that and, and use that in the YouVersion Bible app. That would be great. And of course, if you've got pencil and paper, just do it that way too. That's fine. Matthew Chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted uh, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, most of our translations give us the word humble or meek uh, for, that, for that word. And, and to be honest, we don't use the word meek an awful lot these days, do we? Um, you know, it's quite, kind of an old-fashioned word. You know, we don't tend to, say, you know, blokes will not say to each other, hey, you're a meek dude. We just don't kind of say that anymore, do we? M- meek is old-fashioned. Um, but it means uh, this kind of gentle, humble, considerate kind of attitude. Um, we might understand it as not being overly impressed with our own importance. That's what meek means. Not that impressed with our own press. You know, that we, we are just kind of putting ourselves away a little bit. Uh, it's a word that occurs four times in the New Testament, and very significantly, two of them are to describe Jesus himself. Uh, so let me just uh, share that with you. Matthew 11, 28, 20, uh, uh, 28 to 30 says this, Come to me, all you who are <coughs> excuse me, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus references that word gentle there. And also, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, the the writers in the Gospels reference a a prophecy from Zephaniah uh, that's talking about Jesus being gentle. It says, "Say uh, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. So I want you to understand something about the way the Beatitudes are building up. The first one was about our spiritual lack. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because when you realize that, you can start to call out for help from God. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. When you realize your, the nature of your, sin, your sinful nature, you can then call out to Jesus for help. But blessed are the meek is the first beatitude where we're talking about a quality of Jesus. We're talking about a characteristic that Jesus has, and he has it in huge reserve. And he's teaching that we will be blessed if we copy him in having those reserves. Hussein flew from Djibouti to London in 2012, was confronted with a massive setback on the day of his race, but decided, no, I'm going to be humble enough to come last in front of 80,000 people. And of course, he gave us a massive gift that day in doing so. And there's a huge humility of spirit there. So I was being, I've been thinking about humble people and some of the characteristics they have. I don't know if you know humble people in your circle. If, you've got, if you just think for a moment about family and friends, who's perhaps the most humble in, in your set? They have a characteristic about them that's just incredibly appealing. You know, when they're talking to you, they're kind of just making you the center of their world. They just make you feel special and important. They've got this ability somehow to put the stopper on that bottle of self-importance and just put it away for a minute, and they're able to focus on you. They're able to kind of center in on you and just make you feel central to them. That's something I've really noticed about humble people. Um, I want to just share a story with you. Um, A few years ago, I went to a church lunch midweek. Now, I don't know what you do in your professions, how you get together socially, but ministers get invited to a a church lunch on a Wednesday. I just need to tell you that. Uh, And so I went along to a church lunch on a Wednesday, and I was a little bit late, and uh, I got there, and I was at the back of the queue. There's about 40 people there, and uh, there was a guy next to me in the queue, and he starts chatting to me, and he's honestly the nicest bloke I've ever met. He's just so nice. I actually got a bit tongue-tied because he was so focused on me. I was like, what is this? You know, I'm not used to like, you know, that level of interaction, but he was just kind, he was, he was warm, he was funny. He asked me about my day, he helped me find the sugar, even though he wasn't there, he was one of the guests. You know, he was just a really nice bloke. And I was quite taken aback by how nice he was and how humble he was. Um, and then we get into the room, and uh, there's, as I say, there's 40 of us there, we're, we're having this lunch together. And then the lady who organized the, uh, the event, she said, ah, oh, now, 
I want to welcome Charlie to the stage. Uh, Charlie's going to come and speak to us, and it was the guy that was speaking to me at the back of the queue. So this guy, Charlie, who had been chatting to me in such a nice way, he goes and he's the speaker. And I'm like, wow, well, amazing. You know, you didn't say that when we first, you didn't come in and go, oh, I'm the speaker. You just chatted to me. That was really nice. So he spoke, and then he gave this little message on the Apostle Peter that was absolute dynamite. I was like, wow, you are really good. This is tremendous. And then later, I found out he was the senior pastor of a church called St. Aldate's Church in Oxford. You know, a, part, a, a church a little bit like that, it's actually even bigger than BCCs. They've got about a 1,000 people who go regularly every Sunday. Um, this was before the pandemic. But, you know, just a huge church. And, but the thing was, he did not announce himself with those credentials or that position. He simply talked to me as a person. There wasn't any of, oh, I'm here to, to speak. I'm the senior minister of this, and I'm doing that. And I, None of that at all. He cut right across that, and he was humble. Uh, and I just really, really appealed to me. I just want you to hold that picture in your mind of how a genuinely humble person can be. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to dive into a passage of Scripture where Paul writes to some Christians in a city called Philippi, and he encourages them to kind of work on their meekness. To put it bluntly, he kind of says, you guys need to kind of take a leaf out of Jesus' book because Jesus is very humble, and this is going to really help you in your journey. Uh, So join me at Philippians chapter 2 from verse 1. Just going to read that out uh, for us this morning. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, uh, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, Paul says a lot of stuff in that section. You know, that's got that, the material there for a good eight-week series, I reckon. Um, we're not going to try and do an eight-week series in, in the next few minutes, but I am going to focus in on some of the key points that he makes. And these are listed in your Bible app notes as well. Number one, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceits. Just don't do that. In humility, value others above ourselves. Each of us, and this is number three, are to look to the interests of others ahead of our own interests. You know, Christianity as a faith is hard. Who here in this room finds it naturally easy to look to someone else's interests ahead of your own? That's hard. That takes discipline and intentionality. Christianity is not an easy faith. It's a costly faith. Number four, don't use our relationships to gain a self-centered advantage, even if we're on a par with those people. Jesus doesn't do that with God and the Holy Spirit, so we shouldn't either. Be willing to make ourselves nothing. Number five. Number six, be a servant of others. Number seven, humble ourselves in the service of others to an extremely great degree. That's the message from Philippians 2, from the example of Jesus Christ. 
Those are incredibly challenging things. Every single one of them, I don't feel like I score very highly at all on those. I'm like a kind of three out of ten at the most, and I'm thinking, wow, my goodness, Paul, lay the challenge down, won't you? But here's the thing that really jumps out at me from this passage. This is the one that really kind of speaks to me and hits me hard. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, Jesus has the same status as the Father. He has the same status as the Holy Spirit. He is God, and yet it says here he didn't grasp for that, even though he has it. He didn't try and grasp for that or uh, try and get hold of it. Jesus was absolutely obedient to God the Father in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not your will, but my, but not, not my will, but yours, is what he says. Isn't, he lays down his own agenda. He's absolutely obedient to the Father in going to the cross. And here's the test of obedience is how much, does it, how much is it going to cost you? Christianity is a costly faith. One of the most costly faiths. How much is your obedience going to cost you? And how much humility are you going to put into that in order for that to work? Remember, meekness is the capacity to set aside self-importance. We put it to one side, or we put the stopper on that bottle of self-importance, and we, we put it to one side, and we, we say, no, not me, but you. That's what meekness is. And I, what I want you to, to do, or what I want you to imagine, is we've somehow got to develop that capacity as people. As followers of Jesus, we somehow have to work out a means of kind of putting down our agenda and listening to the agendas of those around us and, and putting favor upon the people around us in our world. That's what this challenge of this beatitude is. Now, here's something really, really good that comes along. When we do that, God rewards it. God rewards it very strongly, in fact. Now, what, I don't want you to miss the, 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 the beauty of the analogy of Omar Hassan Hussein was that he laid down his agenda, but he got an unexpected reward from the crowd that day. They all completely clicked with where he was coming from without any words, and they applauded him. And they said, well done, mate. You deserve that round of applause because you just persisted to the end, and you were humble. If we are like that, God notices that, notices that in us, and he rewards that in us. So that the reward for meekness it isn't all just about cost. God notices, and he starts layering things on top of us that are a blessing to us. In fact, I'd put it to you that the more meek we are, the more God is able to put blessing and stewardship upon us for him to be able to run things through us because he knows that he can trust us because we put self away enough in order to be trusted. And in fact, this is where it goes in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. This is where it picks up. We paused at um, obedient to death, even death on a cross, but let's carry on. Uh, Philippians 2 from verse 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, that's Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In other words, as Jesus laid down self to an incredibly great degree, God poured on favor and blessing and status to an incredibly great degree. And that's exactly what we see in this beatitude. Uh, blessed, let's just look at what that beat, the beatitude says. It says, blessed are the meek for what? For they will inherit the earth. In other words, if you're meek, um, if you put God first, God is going to bless you with an inheritance in the earth. 
There are going to be gifts that are going to be given to you through that meekness that you have applied from this beatitude. This is how, that's how it works. Um, the pop star Madonna apparently said back in 1985, I won't be happy until, as, until I'm as famous as God. <laughs> I won't be happy until I'm as famous as God. Now, I'd put it to you that the Apostle Paul, if Madonna was in his, his congregation, would take, him off to, uh, take her off to one side uh, and say, uh, well, Madonna, you've not really understood who Jesus is uh, because, uh, or who God is because not even Jesus, who is God, would strive for that kind of fame. He doesn't do that. He doesn't need to do that. Can you, do you get the comparison there? Do you understand the, the, the connection? The reality is that God elevates meek people. He really does. And I, I just want to give you um, uh, a couple of examples uh, from the Bible and from history. God elevated the person of Moses. Uh, it says in Numbers 12.3, uh, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And so when, Jesus, uh, sorry, when God was looking for somebody to lead that nation, right about two million people out of slavery from the land of Egypt, um, he elevated, he, he looked for a humble person and he found Moses. And he lifted Moses up and made him that leader because he was humble. A New Testament example might be the person of Mary. Mary was a peasant girl. She had no airs and graces at all. And God said, yes, I can use you, Mary. And Mary famously says, let it be as you have said, Lord, because she was so humble. Uh, in this church, we're a Pentecostal church, and we trace our roots to a revival that was started by an incredibly humble pastor who prayed five hours a day. He was a black son of slaves in Louisiana, and uh, he, he was named, his name was William Seymour, and he was really, really humble. And he started a, a church in Azusa Street in Los Angeles at the turn of uh, the 20th century, like 1905, 1906. And the Holy Spirit came in huge measure because William Seymour had just an enormous amount of humility. You can imagine that, can't you? If you've not got much humility and God shows up on your thing, you can you'd be so tempted to say, oh, well, that was me. Not William Seymour. No, he constantly reflected it back to God because he was a very, very humble person. So what I want to say to you is all that striving and that pumped up effort and the arrogance and the self-centeredness and the self-importance that we put into things sometimes and that the world puts into things sometimes to try and gain a status gets brushed aside by God when he looks for meekness. And he turns that around and he rewards the humble and he rewards the meek. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back up, and you guys just start playing when you're ready. I thought long and hard about what can we take away today to apply into our lives. Because to be honest, you can take humility in all sorts of different ways, can't you? Um, uh, you know, meekness, humility. How, does, how can we make that really practical? And uh, I felt like the Lord kind of gave me a steer on this uh, to give us a real practical handle on this. And it's this. Be fully present to people and to now. Be fully present to people and to now. Uh, so why have I said that? Well, in the Beatitude, it says, um, let's just read that to you again. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And in the, session, in the section from Philippians 2, um, it says, in humility, value others above yourself. And I want to give you 
uh, seven little things that, that uh, sorry, I think, yeah, six little things that follow the word listen. So L-I-S-T-E-N, okay? And each of these things is a practical way that you can make a conversation work better with a person that you're with. You know, like God gave us two ears and one mouth, didn't he? And so that means that we need to do two-thirds listening and one-third speaking. But we quite often make it 90% speaking and 10% listening, don't we? Okay? You with me on that so far? You're all kind of like a little bit bemused by that. Okay. You with me, BCC? You still here? Yeah? Okay, good. So listen, six words, and each of the, the letters of listen stand for something. And the first letter is L, and it is listen. Listen intently. Listen really intently to what a person is saying to you in a conversation or a dialogue. Really train your mind to be intentional and listen to the words they are saying. It's so important. Um, in the New Testament, it says 14 times, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus seems to be saying it's very important that we listen to one another. Very important that we listen intently uh, to the people that are speaking to us. Very important. Secondly, I stands for ignore your phone. Can I just ask us all, when we're having a proper conversation with somebody, can we just wait a few minutes to ignore our phone? You know, all of your likes on your beauty influencing business and your Instagram business and your Facebook fan page and your, your texts and your emails and your, your messages and your Insta, just all of that, let it pile up into the bucket of what it is and just focus properly on the person that you are with there and then. Now, that might be a short time, that may be a couple of minutes, whatever, that's fine. But if you're focusing on a person, focus on them. They are a flesh and blood human being made in the image of God, fashioned in the secret place, and they come ahead of your iPhone. I'm sorry, but they do. And we all need to be intentional a bit about that, don't we? So let's try, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself on this. Boy, is it tempting to check out the, the notifications while I'm chatting to somebody. Let's not do that. So the first one, the L, listen intently. The I, ignore your phone. Okay, the S stands for spot the gold. Spot the gold. Now, what do I mean by that? I think in every interaction between people, there is some kind of gold to be had from God. I believe that. Maybe I'm optimistic. Maybe I'm naive. But there's something in me that makes me think, in this conversation, there is something golden to be found. It might be what they say. It might be something that they bring to the conversation. It might be something I'm, I just need to look for it. And so often when I've applied that, I found it. And it makes the conversation work so much better. And it makes that person feel so special. Spot the gold in the conversation. That's the S of listen. T stands for train your eyes. I was once at a conference, a business conference, before I became a pastor, and there were about 300 of us in this big lobby before we all went in for the talk. Uh, and I was chatting to this person, and she was looking all around the room at the same time as trying to look at me. And I got the impression that she was looking for the better conversation to have and not with me. Now, that might have been my issue. I might, I might have been boring. I don't know. But I could tell that she wanted to kind of move along and, and kind of pick up other stuff. Train your eyes. Do the, focus on the person you're with. Don't be looking around at loads of other things. Now, we have to do our, our training of our eyes in a, an appropriate way. I don't think it means uh, that you uh, are constantly looking at them really, really focused in. Do that in a balanced and an appropriate way, okay? Train your eyes. E stands for empathize with feelings. 
If somebody expresses feelings, give them some space. Give them some space, give them some time. Allow those feelings to come out. You know, sometimes in a conversation, people have feelings that they need to express. Yeah? And then the last one is names. Remember names. The last one is names. I, I remember this to my day in Bible college. They, uh, I read a book uh, called The Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren, who's a, uh, a pastor in the United States. And uh, he says in that book uh, that he, um, uh, he remembered the first three and a half thousand names of the people in his congregation. That's good going, isn't it, Luca? I mean, I just think three and a half thousand names. I'm kind of running out at about 300 in BCC, and I'm sorry if I've forgotten your name as well. Sometimes you'll hear me say, now tell me your name again, because I'm asking you to remind me of your name. So listen is a practical acrostic. Each letter stands for something that can be really practical for you. L stands for listen intently. I stands for ignore your phone for a moment. S stands for spot the gold. Look for that thing in that person that's the golden thing from God. T stands for train your eyes. E stands for empathize with feelings. And lastly, N stands for name. Remember names. Would you all stand with me, BCC? We're going to sing, and uh, at the end of our singing, uh, Luca is going to close off our live stream. You live stream people, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you with us today. Um, but we're going to sing to kind of close our live stream. Uh, Luca will finish that off, and then I'm going to come back, and we'll just do a little bit more ministry in the room for those of you who are in the room. BCC, I just really appreciate you this morning. I'm so glad to see so many of you here. Uh, it's great that our kids and, and youth is back up and running. That's just delighted me so much. Um, but I'm going to pray over you for just a minute, and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, it's so remarkable that you yourself are so meek, and you're so humble yourself. And I pray today that for each and every one of us, some of that would rub off, rub off on us. Help us to be meek. Help us to have humility. Help us to put others first. Help us to lay down that self-agenda. And remember that we are in a community. Thank you, Jesus. We ask for your strength from the Holy Spirit to do that. Amen.